All right, chapter 33. <clears throat> We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We'll set the scene and we'll jump right in. Father God, I come to you um, is, is it like any human would in honesty, in desperate need of your filling. That you would immerse me in your spirit. That this would not be anything that in any way draws focus to me, but to you. That you would overflow, come upon me and fill me to overflowing so that it would be your power doing your will, your way, for your glory. I'm just a jersey and feel free to put me on now, I pray. God, you know what we need to hear today. And you've ordained the people, each one sitting in the chair they're sitting in. You know, every vapor of water within our breath, every speck of dust in our eyes, every speck of dust under our shoes. You know, every atom that we call our own bodies, the mind. You know, everything we can review in the past is victory or defeat. Every ambition before us, every priority, be it good or bad. You know us implicitly. You know us so much more than we do. And in all honesty, we recognize today that the only person who loves us more than us is you. And I'm thankful for that. No one desires to bless us more, draw us deeper and more meaningfully into a relationship with you than you do. So you know what we need to hear today. God, you also know the things that will interfere. Our own distractions, cares and worries of the world like weeds growing in our own garden, in our heart. You know those things even right now that will try to keep our hearts uncircumcised. And our hearts but wayside soil at best. But I pray you would not allow that. Soften our necks that they be not stiff. Circumcise our ears that they would be quick to hear. Open our hearts that we would quickly receive your word, inculcating into our lives to receive it the way you intend. Strengthen our minds to focus on one thing, on you now and your word, that we would learn from you, that we would draw from you, that we would drink deeply from your well of salvation. But if there be any within the sound of this voice that have yet to say yes to you, today would be their day of salvation. For those that are discouraged, that they would find encouragement. The weak would find strength. The unruly would find warning. The complacent be challenged. But let every one of us be greatly encouraged. We'd have a great time in your word. God, I love you, and I thank you. And I pray now, God, do your work. Redeem every second. Let not a word be said amiss. Take my lips and attach them to your heart now. Do your work, we pray. In Jesus' name. Let your word come alive. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. It's been quite a journey in Jacob's life, much like many of us. There's some of us much like him that could find ourselves with a mind good enough to kill ourselves. Smart enough to create the problems in which we are not smart enough to get our way out of. Jacob is definitely one of those individuals. He's a conniver. He was raised by a conniving mother, and that seems fairly evident from text. 
And Jacob had, if you think about it, really deceived two individuals or ripped off two individuals before his exodus over 20 years ago. I mean, his brother, oddly enough, though God had promised Jacob the birthright, promised him the blessing that comes with it. Those two, by the way, were synonymous until actually Jacob's event, and actually, should I say, his dad's event of wanting to bless the older brother, even though Jacob himself had already received the birthright. The two come with each other. But Jacob, pretending to be his brother, deceives his blind father, pretending to be his brother to receive both. Now, God had promised him that, so basically, Jacob would have received it one way or another, and that's a really hard thing to assume, because there are many circumstances where the only way that it could come to pass, to be honest, is if God does it, or we'll connive, and we'll find a way, and we rob ourselves at that moment of the opportunity to be able to tell our children how God did it. And with a bit of shame in our voice and regret, we speak of how God himself said idly by, although he wasn't, while we interrupted, cut in line, and did something that, that really, to be honest, was dishonest, was just improper. And that's basically the situation. So his mother then, telling this man, Jacob, flee, wait for a letter from mommy. When you get the letter, you can come back. Right now your brother wants to kill you. It's a good time to leave. But let's just play the whole game of we're going to get you a wife. You're already past 40. You're still living with your mother in our basement watching Star Wars all the time. It's time to get out and get a job and get a girl. Okay, loose paraphrase, but again, don't just believe me. Oh, hey, let me pray this as well. God, I recognize there are many languages represented here. And so God, please, by the power of your spirit, give interpretation to each of us so we could hear in the language we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jacob, please. 550 miles, over 800 kilometers, north to the area of Kadamaram, the area of Syria, Turkey today. And he goes there to find, well, to his mom's family and meets somebody that's more advanced in his conniving than he is. Laban, Levan. And from that he will ultimately, by the time this is done, 20 years have passed, two decades, no letter from mom which means there's no record at this point that brothers changed his mind of wanting to kill him. But I remind you, it isn't just that he's angered his brother. He's also deceived his father. Don't forget that. And in those 20 years, this man he's working for, he has now basically four wives, two wives and their handmaids, from which he's had 12 children, 11 boys and one girl. By the next chapter... Dinah will be somewhere assumedly in her late teens. Which means the, the situations that transpire in this chapter will take place over a decade. That's important to note when we take a look at what happens. During those 20 years, Jacob has worked for his two wives and their maids. And then worked for a flock. Something for his own livelihood. For which his wages have been changed ten times, according to Jacob's testimony. Finally, God says, it's time to go home, boy. He never got the letter from mom, but rather he gets the call from God. Now, he doesn't have at this point any comfort other than God's promise, who has met him twice now in the sense. So I'll take care of you. I'll get you home. I'll, I'll clothe you. I'll provide for you. I'll keep you safe. And I'll get you home safely. And Jacob has to return home with only a promise to comfort him. Think of that. All he has as a promise to comfort him. 
There's nothing in his circumstances. Nothing can he draw comfort from. So he flees. He flees from this rip-off man in the house that he lived in with his wives and their children, his children. And one of them, his favorite wife, Rachel, steals the household gods, unknown, unbeknownst to Jacob. Which tells us that Jacob isn't the only one with a little bit of problem with ethic. Finally, this man, Levan, catches up to Jacob. He's hiding in the mountains of Gilead. And it's there that he says, I could have killed you. I could have killed you. But God told me, don't speak bad or good. And I would have thought, that was bad. That was bad. You spoke that already. But God told me not to. So let's make a vow, an agreement. Here's the line. You can't come past this side. I can't come past that side. And so it was. After that, Jacob now has to deal with the fact that he said goodbye to his father-in-law, mind you, twice over father-in-law. You don't find that often because he's married two sisters. But now he has to go with this disgruntled father-in-law behind him and a murderous brother in front of him. He has to go and approach this situation. It's during this time that God meets him again and he calls the place, if you remember from last week, Machanaim. Can you say, Machanaim? Oh, that seems so bad. Machanaim means, does anyone remember what Machanaim means? What does it mean? Excellent, two camps. And that's very much the life of Jacob, two camps. The camp that's, in, in essence, in line with the living God, and the one that Jacob himself is really trying to work out. And it's one of those two that he's going to have live in. And the challenge for the rest of our lives will be which one of those camps do we want to find ourselves in. Well, now he has to deal with Jacob. I'm sorry, with his brother Esau. Now, as he does, he tries to pat it. Now, understand, God said he would take care of him. He would take care of him. But now he sends some guys, and what he says is, this is what I want you to do. We're going to take 550 animals, and we're going to put them in nine droves. 29, if we actually count it, basically 29 times, Jacob will actually call himself Esau's servant or Esau Lord in the last chapter to prepare for this. Sending nine droves of animals. And with each of them, this is a gift from Jacob, your servant. And he says, oh, my Lord. And then he says to the next group, when you guys show up, say, this is a gift from Jacob, your servant, oh, my Lord. And he does it with all nine of his groups. And with each one of them buttering up because he's trying to buy the favor of a guy who wants to kill him. And let's face it, if someone wants to kill you and you could give him your iPad, you'd give it to him. That's the whole concept of burglary or robbery, isn't it? Well, well, with that in mind, Jacob now, he sends these people and they come back and they say, hey, guess what? We ran into your brother. It was so awesome. And he's coming, with, he's coming here to meet you with 400 other guys. Now, there's no way to take that but bad. Innocent, like, do you think, wow, the brother thinks he needs a big welcoming party. Let's get all of our friends. Who's got the balloons? Who's got the streamers? Who's got the puppers? Let's get, there's 400 of us. Let's go. Oh, this will be, he knows what this means. This is his doom. And that's the way Jacob is looking at it. But I remind you, at this point, he's got on one side of it, he's got all of these circumstances. And then on the other side, he's got God's promise. And the two of them are really at buttoning heads with each other. And at this point, again, he's at two camps, isn't he? Which camp is he going to sit in? And of course, Jacob, like any of us at a moment like that, are going to jump into the camp of save yourself. That's the camp he's in. So, so Esau now, and just, just to make matters worse, 
the whole thing is brought to a perfect physical emblem and a very thing in which God himself wrestles with Jacob through an entire night, much like the entire life of Jacob wrapped up into one event, where in it, this, this angel is not prevailing in regards to... Remember, the whole idea of wrestling is the idea of somebody finally surrendering. And one thing Jacob just cannot do is surrender, much like us. And if this was God just beating us into submission, it's really no, strangely, if it's no great victory from God. If in the end of it all, here we are and our jaws broken and our eyes are both swollen and we look like a raccoon and our nose is as flat as the rest of our face and we are, you know, and both of our legs are broken and our arms and we can't even lift them up and God says, look it, he says yes to me. Now, you kind of think, well, that doesn't look so good. And people go, why doesn't God just make man do that? Do you think that's what God wants? Do you think that's what I would want for my children? Do you think you know, you'd want to see our children in a body cast? But I finally said yes to dad. And you really think that's what anyone would want? You'd go, well, that seems like a pretty rotten dad. What God really wants is just surrender. Interesting, in the chapter we're about to face, and it's relatively short, the strangest thing occurs. Jacob, by the way, is going to call Esau Lord. And we'll see it over and over again. Verse 5, your servant. Verse 6, he'll bow down. Verse 3, they'll bow down, he'll bow down seven times. Verse 7, he'll bow down and then bow down again. Verse 8, he'll call him my Lord. And we'll see this over and over. And strangely enough, though, he calls him all those things. The one thing that Jacob will not treat Esau like is Lord. But I think there's a lot to learn from Jacob in that. Strangely enough, in the oddest of ways, of seeing how his behavior to his brother really is the way that he's behaving with God, much like me or you. We'll take a look at it with me. So the last thing we saw then, Jacob now, has his hip has been touched. So now we have Limping Jacob, which I think is a great name for a band, but that's another story. So Limping Jacob, which by the way means Jacob cannot run now. There's no way Jacob can run from his brother. He can barely walk to him. Which is going to be funny because we're going to see him bow seven times. How hard do you think that is for a guy who's limping? With a dislocated hip? Now, we know that he will spend the rest of his life in that condition because at the end of his life, he will actually bless his grandchildren, Joseph's two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, leaning on his staff. Well, why is he leaning on his staff? Because the boy still has a bad hip. Now, I was warned by that, by the way. I mean, having several um, years of karate, um, of martial arts, I was warned that there were certain moves that I would do that would look really good for the moment but would really damage your hips. And I was, of course, like anyone in my teen years, going, yeah, I'm invincible. It's impossible. Yeah, anyway. So um, if you ever see me limping, you know why. It's not because God touched my hip. Well, maybe it is. Verse 33, verse, chapter 33, verse 1. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there... Esau was coming, and with him were the 400 men. Now, he's already divided most of his, um, his animals. What's left is his family. He divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. Now, remember, the two maidservants were the maidservants of Rachel and Leah, the two sisters. So Bilhah, Rachel's um, maid, through uh, Jacob had born Dan and Naphtali. Zilpah, which is Leah's maidservant, had born Gad and Asher. So he sends them up front. And then Leah, who has, by the way, a six-pack, a seven-pack of kids with Dinah, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. And then finally his favorite, Rachel, Rachel and her son, Joseph. 
Now, up to this point, you tend to think things don't look really good, even for Jacob. He's the last in the line. Because if his brother's going to kill everything in his way, I think Jacob's just hoping he gets too tired by the time he gets to Jacob. But then he has this moment. Well, notice it says in verse 2, he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Which, by the way, is another reminder to Rachel, I'm sorry, to Leah, that she's really not Jacob's favorite at all. How would you like to be the one who goes, okay, you go next. Well, wh what about my sister Rachel? Don't worry, she's left. You go next because I want him to kill you first. I mean, which one of you ladies wants to have that? After having borne seven children to the same man. But then verse 3, something does change. It says, then he crossed over before them. Somewhere after watching all of these people go, watching his family, his 11 boys, his, his, his daughter, somewhere he goes, wait, wait a minute, this isn't right. I can't let them die before me. Now, <clears throat> understand, in this culture, nobody lets their wife walk in front of them. It's a way of showing, by the way, their superiority. It's an interesting thing. As a matter of fact, if you look at every picture that's from the Middle East of Joseph pulling the donkey with Mary on it, you'll never see anywhere Joseph is actually even with or behind the donkey. It's not because that's the way you steer a donkey. It's because a man always goes before the, before the woman because he's the one that's the dignitary in the Middle East. I'm not saying that that's right. I'm just saying that's the culture. But now think about this. Joseph is, I'm sorry, Jacob has put himself last. In trying to save his own life, he's made himself the very bottom of the pole. It's like, this can't happen. So what does he do? He crosses over before them, and he bows to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. Now, let's, let's play the scene out just for a moment to have a little bit of fun. Why don't you be Esau? Not that you're terribly hairy, or red for that matter, or for that matter, horribly scary, but just work with me on it, would you please? So come on up for a second one, okay? Everyone, this is Juan. Okay, so get the idea. So here's, here he is, and if you stood here, this is your 400 people, right? Now, here I am, <clears throat> and I'm going to be the ripoff for a second, so you actually got the better role for the moment, right? So I'm limping, so as I'm limping, I'm going <clears> to... <throat> oh, yeah, if that, was, that was my heart. I can go <laughs> again. <clears throat> Seven times of this. Now, what do you think Esau is thinking while his brother is doing it? It's, it's got to be the most awkward and weird event, right? Now, all Jacob's doing, oh, don't leave yet. Yeah. <laughs> now, all Jacob's doing is he's basically kind of, in his essence, all he's doing is, don't kill me, please. Don't kill me. Okay, whatever. Oh, God. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. Think about this for a second, right? No. Notice what takes place, because just after seven times of this, seven times of this, it says, <coughs> excuse me, verse 4, but Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. And I'm not going to make you do that, but all of that. But get the idea. So I come up like this, and I'm like, you're going to kill me. And what does his brother do? He runs at him. That is the last thing Jacob wants. Do you really think at this moment he's going to think, this is great. So yeah, so he comes over and he's like, and you can see him going, oh, oh, ah. And while he's like this, his brother's hugging him and he's crying. He's like, ah, 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 ah. Now think about how weird that is. And the reason I say that is, is that this is nothing 
Jacob could have connived. This is nothing. Jacob could have said, I know what to do. We'll slip something in his water and he'll become like a nice pill. There's nothing you can do in and of yourself. To be honest, if one had written that script and pitched it to someone, they'd say, that's too unrealistic. No one would believe that. That's why the truth is stranger than fiction, because fiction has to have something believable. The truth doesn't, because the truth is weird enough, and you just go, that's just what it is. In this situation, all of a sudden, Jacob, I mean, think about it, all of that, there's a part of me that would think, I just bowed seven times. Do you know how hard that was? Unnecessarily. I just gave up 550 of my animals. Unnecessarily. If this is really true. Did you get that? Well, follow me on this. Because now his brother has something to say, and it isn't, all right, time to kill you. So it says, <coughs> and by the way, in verse, notice in verse 4, it says, they wept. Now, I would imagine it would have been, I probably Jacob was probably crying before, but about the point his brother started coming toward him. That would be my guess. The last thing I would have expected in the world would have been Esau crying on my shoulder. It would have been the last thing I would have expected. God is so good. So he lifted his eyes and he saw the women and children. Now remember, they're now behind him. So Jacob, for just a moment, became a man. Enough to get in front of his family. And I'm not going to try to build on this too much because it's a side point here, but it is an important one. It tells us, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and become one with his wife. Do you know why a boy has to leave his father and mother? Because when you get married, there's no room for a boy in a marriage. It's time to become a man. A man has to lead his family. He can't get behind it. He has to get in front of it. He is responsible to God for that family. And, you know, as much as, as charming as a boy can be, they make terrible husbands. That's why Peter Pan dies single. (laughs) You know, no matter what Tinkerbell did, she could never land a boy. And so he asks, who are these with you? It's all these, who are all these people? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Four times in this chapter, he'll call himself his servant. Oddly enough, he won't be serving them. The maidservants came near first. Remember that word? They were on the front of the line. Bilha and Zilpah. And they bowed down. Leah also came with her children, and they bowed down. Afterwards, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down, which means they must be getting a little bit older for Joseph to walk with his mom like this, not behind him. Isa said, what do you mean by all this company which I met? You know, this is the strangest welcome. I just ran into nine hordes of animals. And he said, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Don't miss that. The word favor is the word grace. First time introduced, of course, is where Noah finds grace in the sight of God. Same word here. Here's the interesting thing. Jacob has this weird idea that many of us, let me just say this. And you've heard, many of you have heard me say this before. But uh, it bears repeating. The, the, what we call the fatal cubit. We want to make sure we all have the same term. The distance of a cubit is the distance between the bottom of your elbow and the tip of your, of your middle finger, okay? 
So that's, that's when you see something that's a cubit. Roughly, by the way, a foot and a half or a half a meter. Now, if you were to take that tip, and don't worry, I won't hit you. It's on one of those <laughs> But if you put it on the top of where your head is, and you work it down, it works out just about the place of your heart. And I call it the fatal cubit because it seems like so much is known here, but it never really travels the fatal cubit to the place where the real decisions are made. I've heard it said, the heart has this terrible habit of making a convert of your mind. And though you know it, and you hear this, you know, that you know what the truth is, and you know the truth is a good thing, but you still make a choice so opposite of the truth because your heart somehow never really connected that fatal cubit with your mind. Well, and the reason I say that is is that Jacob has this strange idea that he could buy grace or win grace or earn grace. The problem is the moment you earn it, it ceases to be grace. Like what's the one thing that once you speak it, it ceases to be? Silence. The moment you say it, it stops being silence. The moment you seek to earn it, the moment you think you've earned it, it's no longer grace. Because grace, in the simplest sense, is kindness. And any gift given in grace will never be reliant on the deservedness of the recipient because we'll always be reliant on the kindness of the giver. We don't like that because we would rather not feel like we're in someone's debt because of their kindness. To this day in the Middle East, if someone shows you kindness, it's a pretty good possibility they're about to sell you something. 30-something people were crossing. I kid you not. We were crossing the street in Jerusalem. This is only a month ago now, right? A month ago. And a guy pulls his little mopedy thing, you know, sort of a vest, but, but you know, chespa, because uh, it's Israeli. And he pulls this thing and blocks the traffic, even though we kind of have the, the lights, so the crosswalk's already there. But he blocks the traffic that's not coming anyways and goes, and, of course, we've got a bunch of Americans that are like, oh, he's so nice. What a sweetheart. And I says, he will see us at the bus. And they're like, why would he see us at the bus? Like, well, he's got something to sell. And they're like, oh, you're just being cynical. And I'm like, okay, we'll find out. The moment we, moment we showed up at the bus, man, there he was with his little bags. Like, you, you'll need, come on, come on, five, five, five of these, five of these. You know? And I'm like, because he did you a favor. And that becomes the problem. It's still this way in a lot of the Middle East, where if someone does you a favor, it's to get a favor. You owe him now. You know that, oh, you saved my life. Oh, my arm. Okay. And I realize in this situation, it's really difficult. But this becomes the problem of Christianity. As our entire walk with Christ is based on grace. I'll never deserve God's love. God doesn't love me because I'm so darn lovable. I mean, I might be, but it doesn't matter to him. <laughs> you might be. The reason God loves us is because we're loved, because he's love. If he loved us for anything we possessed, we could blow it. If he loved you because of your body, because you were so strong, wait 20 years. Love's gone. If he loved me because of my hair, it's already over. If you, you know, if he loved you because of your great smile and you played one game of hockey, there go your teeth. 
truth be told, whatever it is, if God could love you because of anything you possess or are, it could cease just as quickly. Because that's not grace. Somehow you still have earned it. You've sent your flocks ahead. But if God loves you because he's love, you can't blow it. And there's something about that I can rest in. And I stop sending all my flocks ahead. The problem is we live in a world where that doesn't work with anyone else. Think about it. Every one of us has whatever our flocks are. You know, those things that, in essence, kind of propel us over the next person in that arena. Some of you might be a great knitter. Now, in the rest of the world, you're sitting at a McDonald's. That doesn't mean anything. But if you're in a knitting circle, you just whip it up. You know, out go the needles. Next thing you know, you've got an entire wardrobe. Someone else is still trying to figure out, can I make a beanie out of this? You know, and you're just, now in that circle, and of course people like that would tend to want to stay in that circle because that's where you excel, whatever it is. Some of our past achievements are some of our flocks. You know, some things that you've done, you've accomplished or whatever. Because the bottom line is, is if you actually took them to the trophy room and they went, whoa, is that an Academy Award? You're like, yeah, got it at a car boot sale somewhere outside of York. You know? But you don't want to say that. You're like, well, I don't like to talk about that. I just, just don't. You know, let's just have you think it really is what it is. You know, whatever. And it's like all of a sudden, and, and think about it. And what happens when we meet a stranger, if we're in any way relatively intimidated by them or we really want to impress them, what do we do? We put all of our flocks to the front. We send out our flocks. By the way, did you happen to know I do this and I did this and accomplished this and take a look at this. I can knit, you know, or whatever. And all of a sudden, I'm sending all my flocks because I don't expect grace from you. Even in the Christian world, I don't expect grace. Sad enough, we should be offering it to each other. Instead, we're too busy sending our flocks ahead, aren't we? And that's so natural. As a musician... In America, there are places called guitar centers, and there are flocking grounds for old 80s rockers who aren't as impressive as they used to be. Some of them are wearing berets because they don't have the hair they used to. Some of them have Lee Press on hair. They stick on and still dangles. Anyway, but you'll see them, and once you come around the corner, it's like, nobody really cares anymore, but they kind of think, well, that's, the, that's their flock. They can send ahead before you get to meet them. I don't know what it is for you. But see, sending your flocks ahead of the opposite of accepting grace. Now, think about this. God didn't send his flocks ahead. He sent his son ahead because there was a debt to be paid, and he paid it. Jesus died on the cross because we deserve to die there ourselves. But out of his love for us, because he is love, he sent Jesus to die on the cross. That's grace. And you will never be able to send any amount of your flocks because the sad part is, any flock you have, he gave. That's just it. So you can imagine God being really impressed by what he gave you and you're giving back to him and you're going, wow, that's really impressive. I gave that to you. But at this point now, his brother's kissing him, falling on his neck, and Jacob has to deal with, wow, is this for real? Probably much like ourselves. So this is what God's graciously given your servant. And all the children bow down, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord, to Esau. Which is flat out, by the way, in the face of a God who promised that the older will serve the younger. Verse 9, Esau says, I have enough. Now, here's a simple word, rav. Could you say rav? Oh, come on, that Hebrew, rav. rav. Thank you. Rav might you sound like a little bit like a dog when you do, which is all right. Um, the word means abundant. I have more than I need. Now, here's the idea. 
I mean, think about it. 550 animals just came walking up to him with a bunch of servants and said, oh, this is all yours. And he's going, come on, have some more. This is kind of like a, a meal in Italy, you know? I mean, there's a certain point where you're just like, I really thank you, but I cannot have any more. And one of the first words you learn is basta, because basta means enough. And you learn to say, pasta, 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 pasta. It's enough pasta. I have, enough, I have more than I need. Thank you. I, I mean, you know, I, I have spaghetti is coming out of my belly button. And he's going, come on, have it. Can I give you one more sheep? Have another sheep. He's going, I, I have more than I know what to do with. Thank you. But Jacob is not going to ha- give up on this. Verse 10. No, 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 please. If I have now found favor in your sight. No, notice that. There's that word favor again. That's grace. Then receive from this present from my hand inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I've seen the face of God. And that is where it connected for me. And you were pleased with me. Because all of a sudden I started to realize and the way Jacob's going to treat his brother is the same way that I could treat God if I'm not careful. Now what is Jacob doing? He is insisting on you taking something you don't want. Why? Because if I give you this, then there's no way you can actually hunt me down because we have sealed the deal. I don't have to trust you. I don't have to. I mean, remember, I just kind of shut things down with Laban just a couple chapters ago. So now I have to make sure I close this deal. Now, there's two options I have here. One is force you to take this. And if I force you to take this, then I can say he is, we've settled accounts. Somehow I feel like, but the bottom line is, let's be honest, Esau still has a legal right to kill his brother. It doesn't matter how many sheep he offers him. You go, oh, seven ox, that'll do it. Seven oxen, that'll take care of it. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is what Jacob had done to his brother in regards to this, puts a vendetta from him on him by his brother. And it doesn't matter how much of that you offer, the only way that that vendetta is going to be, going to be canceled, to be honest, is one word, and that word is forgiveness. It's the only way. But in the eyes of someone in the Middle East at a time like this, if I give this to you, we've sort of made a covenant. We've made a deal. And he's kind of making deals. He's made a deal with Laban. Now he's making a deal here. And this way I can be confident. Now I'm confident that you're not going to kill me. Because I was convinced from the beginning you're out to get me. And I know for the last 20 years, two decades, you've been out to get me. And if I give you this, you'll no longer be out to get me. Did you get that? Jacob is not taking forgiveness. Jacob instead is making a deal. It's the same thing that can happen with us as Christians. And the idea is simple. What God says is, I want to forgive you. And you're like, well, let me give you something. I'll tell you what. I will really serve you now. I'll go to church. I'll give a tenth. And that's which, by the way, was what Jacob's deal is. He was trying to make with God, remember, before and all this, on his way running from his brother. I mean, imagine if all of a sudden <coughs> I came up to Jeffrey excuse me, and said, Jeffrey, I don't know, something's overwhelming in my heart. I'd like to actually give you Hertfordshire. For whatever reason, I own the entire, you know, area of Hertfordshire. I just want to give you the entire area of Hertfordshire. Here you go. Live in it. Enjoy it. Let the taxes come to you. Be comfortable. And Jeffrey goes, hmm, all right, hmm. Thanks, man. Um, I've got an iPod here. Here, take my iPod. I'm like, what, what's this for? In exchange. Hey, no, none of us in this room would go, that's not a fair trade. That's insulting. 
for him to think somehow he could feel better because he gave me an iPod for Hertfordshire? Now, whether you like Hertfordshire or not, it's still got to be worth more than an iPod, even a new one. Even an iPad 2, it's still worth more. But isn't that how we do with God? God's like, look, I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to torture him on a cross. I'm going to give you more than just salvation. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to give you purity. purity. I'm going to make you a new creation. I'm going to give you a home in heaven. I'm going to adopt you as my own. I'm going to give you my presence and my provision and my protection. And my son is is your love. I'm going to engulf you in grace. And you're like, let's see. Well, what do I have to offer you um, here? Here's my really weak vow of total obedience, but you know it's not going to be. I'm convinced at this moment I'll never sin again. You know better. Oh, I'll never sin again. Thanks. And at those moments, there are times when we do it, to be honest, out of gratitude, where we're really not trying to pay back God. We're just so thankful we want to give him something. But there are other times when we're actually trying to make a deal because what we're doing is we're trying to buy our grace. We're doing that. We are so lame because we're actually watching this happen in front of us. And he's going, look at, I just want to, and this is what, if, if Esau could talk at this moment, if Esau playing the role, strangely enough, of God in this situation for the moment, he would be saying, look at, I just want to welcome you. Isn't that what Esau basically is trying to do here? Look at, out of forgiveness, I just want to welcome you. And Jacob goes, I just want to pay this off. He's going, I wanted to welcome you before you tried to pay anything. I mean, do you really think somehow by like the the ninth drove or the eighth drove, he's like, oh, oh, camels. Well, never mind. Actually, I won't kill him after all. I mean, you really think that's what happened with him? I really genuinely think what happened is he really wanted to welcome. There are going to be three basic things in this that, to be honest, nail me because him saying, look, I saw you like I saw the face of God. And I go, oh, ouch. That's the first of them. Look, I just want to, I want to welcome you. Jacob's like, I just want to earn my favor. Verse 12. And again, by the way, this is Jacob's response, by the way. Verse 11. Please take my blessing that it is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. This is a different word than the last word. The last word was the word rav. Would you say rav? That was the word, remember, that means abundance. This word, by the way, is the word kal. Could you say kal? Kal means, by the way, the whole, everything. So he goes, please take something. And Esau's look at I have more than I can handle. And Jacob, on the other hand, is going, I have everything. Now you don't want to kill me. I mean, if before, when you wanted to kill me, I had nothing. With all this stuff, it doesn't mean anything, because if, if I'm dead, who cares how many camels I have? But now that you don't want to kill me, I feel like I have everything. Please take this. So we urged him, and he took it. Ah, oh, I can rest now. I've paid off my debt. No, he didn't. Verse 12. Esau said, let's take our journey now. Let us go, and I will go before you. Jacob said to him, oh, my Lord. Notice the term, verse 13, verse 14, twice, verse 15, once. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. And I think, oh, my Lord, because it's not what it looks like. My Lord knows that the children are weak, and the flocks and the herds, which are nursing, are with me. And if the men would drive them hard one day, the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that will go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Sir, which, by the way, is where he sent for his brother. Esau said, well, then let me leave with you some of the people who are with, with me. But he said, well, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Sir. And Lauren, go ahead and throw up that slide if you would. And Jacob urged, I'm sorry, Jacob journeyed to Sukkot, built himself a house. 
and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkot, which means booths. It's appropriate. And Jacob came safely into the city of Shechem. Would you say Shechem? Shechem. Shechem. Oh, good try. Which is in the land of Canaan. When he came to Padam, from Padamaram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of land where he pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar, and there called, on, called it El Eloche Israel. Could you say El Eloche Israel? The name means God, the God of Jacob. I'm sorry, the God of Israel, which, of course, is what he is now called. That's how we get the name Israel, was actually from this boy. Now, I remind you, his grandma's name is Sarah. Sarah, or Sarai, remember, means contends with or fights with, argumentative. I mean, who marries a girl, by the way, anyways, named, likes to fight? Some of you are like, yeah. Anyways, um, well, don't laugh too loud because, you know, anyways. So uh, here's something I want to just want to point out, okay? Here's where, because if, unless you kind of aware a little bit of the geography, you're like, wow, so they went to a place I've never been that I'll probably never visit. And they went to another place called like, wow, that was really neat. But actually, let's develop it for a second. Okay, he's come from this area, Ramot Gilead. Remember, this is where they were at the mountains, Gilead, right? And those mountains where, his bro- where Laban encountered him, and they made that deal. Don't go past this line. This line right here, I'm going this way, you're going that way. So Jacob heads down. He heads to the place called Penuel, now, or, or Peniel. Pen, by the way, means face, El God. This is the place where he says, I've seen the face of God. He's wrestled with God there. That was our last chapter. Now, he's heading down. He's, now, here's where they meet. This is in the area where he meets his brother. The real question is, where is his brother coming from? This is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea kind of closes up like this. And then down here on the floor is the Gulf of Achaba, which, by the way, is where the Red Sea is. It comes up like two fingers. It's like So think of this. So here's the Gulf of Achaba down here. Now, the line between the Dead Sea and that Gulf is the area of Sir. Down just above that is Mount Sir. So if we could do it simply, he's basically down here is where his brother is. That's Sir. And what he says is, now, that's where his brother had come from. This is Esau. Esau had come from here. He'd come up this way, which is the area of Jordan today. So he'd come up this way with his 400 men and met him at Penuel. Are you with me on this? Okay, can you follow me on that a little bit, even if you're not totally familiar with the geography? Now, get this. Esau is saying, well, let's all go and see Dad. Well, where is Dad? Dad's here at Beersheba. He'll ultimately be at Hebron. So what he's going to do is, he says, meet me down here, and we'll sort of scoop under the Red Sea, and we'll come up this way to see Dad. Because remember, the whole idea is he wants to take him home. Here's the problem. Now, follow this. He goes, so he heads up this way and says, all right. And Jacob says, oh, no, no. You go ahead. I'll catch up. Right? I mean, I have kids. I've got animals. If we go too quick, they'll all die. Right? So don't worry. Because he's going, come on, let's all go together. I want you to come with me. And he goes, oh, no, 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 don't. And then he goes, well, let me just leave some guys to take care. And he's like, why do I need that? Here's the problem. So he goes here. He goes, he heads back down to where he came from. That's Esau. So Esau and his 400 men, so that's 401 guys, go this way. Jacob goes, don't worry, I'll catch up. And he goes this way. You see a problem with that. I mean, either Jacob has a terrible sense of direction, 
or he really didn't intend to follow his brother in the first place. I tend to, knowing a little bit about Jacob, tend to lean towards the second. So listen to this. Someone says that has just given you forgiveness. If we have forgiveness, we can walk together now, can't we? We're friends now. We're not enemies. Come on, let's go. And you're going, I'd love to, but here are my reasons why I can't go right now. You go ahead. I'll catch up. And we're already knowing we're not going. We already intend to go somewhere else. Are you following me? This is the second problem of being a Jacob when I should be an Israel following God. The first is I'm trying to buy what God wants to give me. You see that? The second is, I won't go where God leads me. He says, come on, let's go. And, and, and if, if we could hear Jacob, what, is, what would Jacob say? He goes, I just want to lead you. Who better to know the area? Now think about this. This isn't necessarily common or familiar territory to Jacob. It's not like Jacob knows this well. But Esau does. This is his land. So, I mean, let's face it. I mean, when we first came here, somebody who lived in London would be very helpful for us to say, let me show you how to get to blah, blah, blah. And we've actually, even in the two years we've been here, we have people all the time going, well, where how do we get to blah, 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 or wherever? And I'm like, okay, we're going to take this line to this place. I mean, it's kind of fun to be able to do that. But you know what it's like to have somebody who's like, look, I'm a local. I'll happily take you there. Come on, let me take you. I want to take you back. And here's the crazy thing. Where does he want to take them to? Ultimately, I want to take you to the Father. That's where I want to take you. And you're like, mm, I'm not really sure I like your pace. Can we do this a little slower than your intention? He's going, look at, I just want to take you to the Father. And you're going, yeah, I'll get there. Do you know that by the time that Jacob actually gets there, in the same verse he shows up, he buries his father. That's sad. In between that time, in this area now, and this is why I was pointing out a little bit of the timestamp. in this area, and now he will end up here by the end of the chapter, he's going to spend a decade or more there. I mean, so he's like, hey, I'll be right there. And I know this because I have children, and, and, and I'm married. I know what it's like to say, I'll be right there, and, and to go and make some tea. And we, you know, we all have it, right? We all, someone in our household, someone's like this, where it's like on their way out there, like, oh, I forgot to regrout the tile. You know, I forgot to lay that carpet in that other room. You're like, all right, I'll, I'll go uh, do something. So, but I mean, but there's a difference between having the best intentions and actually knowing sooner or later you're going to go out the door and go there versus he's going, come on. And he's looking at this door. He's heading this way. And we're looking at this door going, I'll be right there. But we're heading out another door all the the problem is God knows better. The only person we really only fool usually is us. You know? Now, in this, his brother, now look at the two things. The first is, he goes, look at, I just want to take you to the Father. And our answer is, I'm going to go my own pace, not yours. But then it's one step beyond that. Because then he goes, well, let me leave some guys with you. Why would Esau leave some guys 
well, from what we understand about Jacob, he couldn't be as big of a wuss as we think he might be. He just wrestled a whole night with an angel. I mean, he's got to have something going on. But why would you do that? Because this area here, by the way, to this day, isn't the kind of area you want to walk your kids through. It's still an area full of robbers and muggers and bandits and raiders. I want to leave some guys with you to protect you. Can I give you some fellowship that can surround you and engulf you to help put a buffer between you and that angry world out there to help keep you safe? And what's Jacob's response? Look at it with me in the text. Jacob's response instead, it's just said, and this is the interesting part. Notice verse 15. What need is there? In other words, what he said is, I don't need that. Now look at it. Jesus dies on the cross. Listen, listen, listen. We're nearing this thing. Jesus dies on the cross to give you salvation and forgiveness and deliverance and purity, things you could, nor I, could never earn. We could never earn that. But we'll try anyways. And it's so insulting to a God of grace. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit because Jesus rose again to give us a brand new life. And in that new life, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit, more than anything, is a catalyst of intimacy between us and the living God. And he goes, and the Holy Spirit's going, come on, let's go. And you're like, I don't really like your pace. And he's going, and you know what's going to happen? On the way, the Holy Spirit's going to start chiseling off parts of you that you kind of think look good. And he's like, the way you treat people, oh, the way you look at a woman, well, your priorities, your self-centeredness or self-reliance. And you're like, hey, those things are good. Those are, those are my sheep I send in front. And God goes, those sheep need to be sent to pasture. And you're like, no, no, no. You know, and so in all of that, and you're going, I don't like your pace, man. This is really pretty radical remodel. And God goes, it's a reinvention. And reinventions take lots of work. Can I, I'll just go my own pace. But then the Father, stepping in as the last member of the Trinity, although all working in conjunction, say, I would like to give you fellowship. Put you in a healthy fellowship where you could grow, where other people that love you can surround you and help put some form of buffer between you and the angry world out there that you're seeking to interface put angels around you to surround you to keep you from a car coming at you and the things we think but to be honest in the most practical sense that's what this is supposed to be not angels but the idea of fellowship to a place where we could be so as we walk this journey together with people that are out there wanting to steal the very things that are really precious think about this and what happens some people say what need is there for that no need for that come on I've got I've got I can sit here with my Bible. I can turn on the TV and watch some guy wave his lame coat. And that's enough for me. And God goes, but where is the crowd that walks with you through that valley? Having been a pastor for over 20 years, I know what it's like to get the call, and it happens often, where you get the call from some gal whose husband just had a heart attack. They've been Christians for 40 years, and they're calling an absolute stranger for help because they've not been in fellowship for so long. 
Their marriage is in shambles. They have no insurance. They don't know where to go. He's in bad shape. She can't take care of the kids on her own. The house is a mess. She can't buy groceries. And she's got to call some church through a phone book or through Google that's somewhere near her house to get help from a bunch of strangers because she doesn't have anyone that walked with them through that valley first. And how awkward is it? When, and you know what you do. You've deployed, man. You have a meeting like this, and you say, all right, who wants to clean? Who wants to get groceries? Who wants to go and take the dog out and get him, you know, get him dewormed or whatever? And who wants to go and do some gardening? And, and you know, it's cool when you see the whole body get together. But the saddest part, the saddest part in my 20 years plus of doing this, as much as I love every second of it, the sadness of knowing 99.9% of them will not set foot in fellowship after the whole event's over. They'll go back to walk in that valley themselves, going, who needs it? And You know, it isn't that I feel bad because I feel used. Because Christ told you, you're going to feel used. People go, oh, you're not going to be a doormat. I'm not going to be a doormat. Christ says, look, you're going to be a floor. People are going to walk all over you. Get over it. And the end of it all, beloved, the end of it all, don't do that. Don't be a Jacob here. God had already called him Israel, but Jacob is just not embracing the new person God called him to be. He's busy being the old person. Isn't that what Paul warned us of in Romans chapters 5 and 6? The old man was crucified and buried like in baptism and newness of life. We've got a new man. Don't serve that old guy anymore. That's a body of death, he says in Romans 7. And you go, yeah, but fellowship's kind of weird. Yeah, we're kind of weird. How can it not be? Listen, a couple of a short story, God willing, and then let's get to prayer because I really want us to pray with each other over this. Um, on Monday nights, I take my daughter to a dance class down in Battersea, and it's a really sweet um, event. But you know, it's just a bunch of a bunch of girls in a room, and I'm not going to be there for that. So I try to find some place. And in that particular area, there's like not a coffee house to be found anywhere. So there's this little kind of pubby little place that's kind of quirky and. I'm sitting in there, and it's a relatively quiet, but the thing is, there's usually only two people in the place, me and the guy that's behind the counter. And, and, I, and uh, they let me plug in my iPad, so I'm pretty happy, so I can kind of read my word and kind of have a good time. I'm happy. And, well, this particular last Monday, a group of people start showing up. And that's, that's a little out of the ordinary. As a matter of fact, I've never seen that. And you can tell none of them know each other, but they've all come at the same time from different places. So you ever see people that are all gathered together for something? And none of them know each other, how awkward that looks, right? They're all just kind of trying not to look at each other, but trying not to walk too far. And, just go, okay. and finally someone goes, welcome to the first salsa class. And I went, oh, this ought to be interesting. So I kind of put this down for a second. And it's basically a bunch of older gals and two guys, um, probably much like, anyway. So, and they're, they're, they're just a little uncomfortable. Actually, very much uncomfortable. They're sweating. Anyways, all over. And and she goes, all right, so they all kind of get in a circle, so they all kind of figure out how to get into a circle, right? I mean, bless the heart. You know, they're they're all there, and they're so uncomfortable. He goes, no, grab the hand of your partner. Now, not a single one of them met another one. Two of them, not a single one had a conversation with another before this moment. So they all kind of look around, except the guys. They're kind of figuring out which one do I want to, right? That's a cuter hand, I'll say, right? And so they finally kind of take each other's hands, 
And they kind of look at each other. They go, so this is the step. You're going to go, step, kick, step, kick. Really simple, right? Well, oh, no. No, no, no. So you've got a bunch of people. The music comes on. And I kid you not, what you watch was something that was semblant of a car accident. So they all kind of do this. This is their way of, of feeling kind of the rhythm, right? And then it's like this. Uh, shin kick, shin kick, shin kick. So what you watch are people going, ow, 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 ow. And then like, okay, switch partners. And so they go to this one. It's ow, ow. Ow! Right? And I'm like, at this point, this is the good. And someone finally says, hey, do you want to join that? I'm like, there is no way. I love my shins. There is no way. And finally, I looked at the guy behind the counter and I said, and they say Christianity's weird. They say church is awkward. That was awesome. And sometimes I think that's what we're like. We kind of figure, wow, man, if I really get involved in the church, Pelham's going to grab my hand and start kicking me in the shins or something. Come dance with me. And I'm thinking, oh, how sad. You know, I can't wait to get back there next Monday. (laughs) I don't know if the group will be smaller or bigger, but I guarantee you some of those people will be wearing thicker socks. And who knows? You know, sometimes that in five or six weeks could be some of those people will be salsing. Some of those people... We'll be in casts. But either way. (laughs) Beloved, I could just tell you, Scripture says don't forsake the assembling of believers, and you could do it out of obedience. And you could say, well, I assemble with believers. My family's Christian. Or you could see that God ordained it for your protection. And by the way, ours too. Cool thing is I cover your back, you cover mine. I want to be the kind of pastor that if you, God willing, you stick around a year or two, God keeps you here and he tarries, you see me grow and I see you grow. We're all supposed to be. No one's reached anything other than a place prayerfully, but we just want to love him more. I have a really love that for all of us. So what happens at the end of this? Jacob ends up in Shechem. The next chapter will be one of the darkest chapters in all of Genesis. It will be a defiling, filthy chapter. Some of you won't want to read it as a result of that. Some of you will. But here's the sad thing. It was avoidable. Because it wasn't where he was supposed to go. God will actually meet him there and say, get to Bethel, Jacob. Which, by the way, here's Dad. He goes, get, go. Do you get it? Maybe, maybe. Maybe today as we go to prayer, you're starting to realize how much of this is is you. Well, look at it. It's time to let go of the Jacob and be the Israel God called you to be. You know, I'm not telling you in any way that Christians are a replacement for the nation Israel. But I'm telling you that the new you is supposed to be governed by God. The old you will never say yes. The old you will never submit to God. That's why God says the old you needs to be killed. The old you was killed at the cross so that the new you can walk with him. There's no timeshare. God's not into equal timing. There's no custody rights over this. You surrendered to Christ. It's time to walk with him. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful chapter. Man, there's so much to learn here. God, I want to ask your forgiveness personally for those times when I'm busy being more Jacob than Israel. And Lord, I know that 
It's real. Um, it's a common song sung. The one that speaks of people who are so desperate to earn what you want to give and how insulting that must be to you. And I recognize, God, that that every other religion based out there is based on that. It's based on equilibrium. It's based on payback instead of surrender. There's no grace, God, I've learned in anything else because grace is not in the devil's vocabulary. But it's the fundament and foundation of my walk with you. And I just pray right now for every believer in this room, myself included, that we would further embrace that grace and that we wouldn't be trying to give anything back to you to pay you back, but rather out of the love and the joy and abundance that we could say, I have everything. I have everything in you. And that's everything you give me that's material. Any sheep that you could give me that could be sent forward, may they be used as a peace offering to feast with my brothers and sisters to celebrate the God who gives all good things, the Father of heavenly lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. So God, I just pray that we could embrace that grace. I pray, Lord, that as you've placed within us the moment we believed according to Ephesians 1.13, you've placed within us your Holy Spirit that we would let you lead us at your pace, not ours. You know our pace. You know what, and to be honest, maybe it is that in us, there's going to be a lot of things that we'll need to die. So Lord, lead us at the pace that is going to get us to the Father the quickest in the manner, Lord, that will accomplish the greatest amount of change, Lord, to make us more like you. Permanent change, not temporary. Just pray today that as you say, look at I just want to love you and forgive you and welcome you, that we by grace and by by faith would receive that. As you say, look at I just want to lead you to the Father, Holy Spirit. I just say, look at lead me then, please. Father, as you say, look at I just want to surround you. I please I want to have the value in that. Give me a delight for fellowship, God, I pray. A delight. commit this to you. And within the sound of this voice right now, if there have been any who are still trying to earn God's love, when he loves you because he is love, not because you're lovable. And today, perhaps for the first time, you recognize that what God is asking you to do is to receive, not earn. To take by faith. Not pay ahead. Then I pray right now that you this prayer with me. And as you listen to this prayer, at the end of it all, if you agree, I ask for you to simply say, Amen. And what you are saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God of heaven, I come to you as a guilty person initially because I am faulty. I've done wrong. And that wrong must be punished. But you infinite grace have taken all of my punishment and placed it upon your only begotten son Jesus the Christ who died at the cross on my behalf so that it could be paid in full and rose again to offer me new life the life under your governance 
And so I, I gladly accept the gift of Jesus, his payment for my penalty, exchanging my filth for your innocence, my death for your life. And in the surrender now of my being, I confess Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior as well. And say, have me. If this is really what you want to offer me, I would be a fool then other than by faith to take it. So I by faith say yes. And say thank you, thank you, thank you. Have me all that I am. And make me all that you desire. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Amen. Thank you, saints.